talked to Michael before uh, services tonight, but I couldn't have picked a better uh, set of songs to sing together with you and worship with you um, regarding the topic of working and the topic of uh, not being ashamed to own our Lord. Thank you for that. Good evening. I'm, I'm very encouraged to be with you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Appreciate your presence and uh, appreciate the opportunity uh, the elders give to the men here to uh, present a lesson uh, once a month here. I always get way more out of it than you. I always feel bad for you guys because I get way more out of it, but, uh, and you have to suffer through me, but thank you for the opportunity. Tonight, I want to uh, open the Bible together and look at some of the Gospels. We're going to spend some time in the Gospels, and we're going to spend some time in Acts tonight. Um, Leland's lesson this morning, kind of, it really complemented the lesson tonight. He, he gave the Old Testament perspective of the idea of revival and looking at, at Samuel, and especially the point regarding the, the commitment to God that they had. And tonight, I want to look at the New Testament point of view at, at that topic of the commitment to God. And I want us to look at the disciples and their example. The last uh, couple, couple of weeks here, leading up to the next quarter, next quarter we're uh, about to study the harmony of the Gospels in, in many of our classes. So the last couple of weeks I've been preparing and, and reading and, and listening to, to the Gospels. And, and, and one of the things that I've noticed and kind of has jumped out at me while we've been studying is the response of the people who were around Jesus. And their response to Jesus' teaching, uh, witnessing his miracles, uh, the healings, and, and all of the things that surrounded him. And there were those that tried to stop him. There were those that uh, were astonished and amazed. There were people who uh, got, got, got angry. And uh, there were people who tried to trip him up. And there were some people who followed and wanted to be around him because they wanted something. They wanted to be healed. They wanted uh, to be fed. They wanted to be entertained by the things that he was, he was doing and be around all of that. But there were others that believed. There were others that believed and dedicated their lives to him and, and left. And it's been an interesting study for me. It's caused me to stop multiple times and consider myself. How, how, how would I, if I lived then, how would I have responded to Jesus? Which one, which one of those individuals would I have been? And even today, how, would, how do I respond to Jesus today? Am I being the disciple and the follower of Jesus that he desires? And then we turn. Yeah. Turn it on, that'll help. There we go. Um, then then once, once you get through the Gospels, you turn a couple pages over to, to Acts. And you see the courage and the boldness that those same disciples who, who were with Jesus and followed, uh, followed Jesus once Jesus left, you saw the boldness and courage and the things that they did in the book of Acts. And I'm inspired by the results that they had and the results they were able to achieve by, by uh, the time they spent with Jesus there. And 
I've been fascinated by this. I've enjoyed studying and I'm looking forward to this next quarter. And unfortunately, you have to listen to me talk about it for the next couple of minutes here. But I wanted to share some observations with you, uh, some of the notes that, that, that I've made going through in the hopes they can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we, I think there's a lot we can learn from these disciples. There's a lot that we can examine uh, from their responses to Jesus' call, uh, from their, uh, the things that they did and what set them apart and, and hopefully that will help us in our own spiritual journey as we're trying to be disciples that follow Jesus um, in that way. So let's go ahead and jump into the study. And the first thing I want to, the first observation I wanted to make it, when we look at the disciples is that Jesus called them, but they chose to follow. There was a choice to be made. And Brother Derek read from, from Matthew chapter uh, uh, 4, and I, I really appreciate him doing that. And uh, looking at the call of Jesus, Jesus' first four disciples. And it's a story we're familiar with. There's parallel accounts in Luke chapter 5 and Mark 1 as well. And our children learn this story from, a, from an early age. And in, in it, we see four fishermen. And, and, and particularly, in the, there, there's some details in the Luke account in Luke 5 that, that aren't included in some of the other accounts. But we see four fishermen who were ra- wrapping up a very unsuccessful night of fishing. They, they've been out all night, not catching anything. And Jesus walks up to them uh, and says, hey, go back out again. Let your nets down again. And, uh, and, and they, they were tired. They, they were frustrated. They probably worrying about how they're going to provide for their families. And Jesus comes up, not a fisherman, tells them to go drop the nets again. And Peter responded. He said, look, we've been doing this all night long. We haven't caught anything. But nevertheless, at your word, I will. And so he does. And... We know what happens next. We see this miracle where the, the nets are filled with fish. The boats begin to sink as they bring in the fish. Uh, they have to get help to haul it all in and make it to shore. And everybody who saw this, they were astonished by what Jesus had done. They were astonished by, by this sign. And Jesus responded with a very powerful statement. When Peter got back, when, when they all got back uh, uh, to shore, and he said, do not be afraid. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. He gave them an invitation to follow him at that point. And I want, I want you to pay attention to these two phrases. They're going to come up again and again as we, as we go through tonight. Nevertheless, at your word I will, and do not be afraid, follow me. Now at this point, the four fishermen had a choice to make. They could stay, tend to the things they needed to attend to that were important to them. They had their family business, they had their family at home, they had things that, that, that they were doing with their life. Or, do they leave everything and, and follow him? And all three gospels, all three accounts make the point that they immediately left their nets. They immediately left their boats. James and John left their father in the boat. Peter had a wife at home. He left and followed Jesus. Immediately, there was a sense of urgency. They believed what they saw, and they believed it so much that they were willing to do anything and sacrifice everything. But also, as we read through the Gospels and we start to pay attention to the way people are responding to Jesus, not everyone was willing to do that. Not everyone was willing to take that step of the, the, the four disciples. And Jesus taught about this during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There were times where Jesus called people that, 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 they, that, they, that they wanted to follow him, maybe. They were not, uh, you know, they, they followed him, they listened to his teaching, they saw the things he did, but they weren't willing to, to let down the nets. They weren't willing to leave them to follow him, to, to follow through. In Matthew chapter 19, there was the young man we read about uh, that, that approached Jesus and asked him, he, he desired eternal life in the kingdom and, and, the, and, and the things that Jesus was talking about. And he asked him, how, how can I get eternal life? And, and he was a good man and he kept all the commandments. And he was obviously interested. Uh, we don't know how long he had been following Jesus, what he had seen and heard. But he, had, he obviously had heard enough that he asked Jesus about this. And he said, look, I, I followed the commandments. I, I've done everything. And Jesus said, it's not enough. You, you lack one thing. Go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. He calls this young man in the same way he called the four. He said, come, leave everything and follow me. And he was not willing to go through, go through with it. He was not willing to leave the nets behind. He was not willing to, to leave his possessions, and he goes away sorrowful. And you know that this couldn't have been the only time this happened. This is one of the few times we have recorded for us that this happened. But you know people wanted to follow Jesus. They, and it had to have happened many times where they would see the miracles and they would hear Jesus' teachings and they would want the things that he promised. And then when Jesus offers that invitation, leave it all and come follow me, they, they weren't willing to follow through with that. It's interactions like these with the young man that probably inspired Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 14. Where he tells a story at at the Sabbath day feast he's at. And he tells a story about a man who was giving a a great banquet. And he invites uh, all these people to come. And it's time for them to start to commit to come to the feast. The servant goes out to, to bring them. And... The first person comes back. He says, you know what? I bought a field. I need to go check that out. I can't come to the feast. Uh, the second one comes back and says, you know what? I, I just bought a bunch of livestock. I've got to go tend to that. I need to go check it out. I can't come to the feast. And the third said, you know, I just got married. I can't come. I don't know if any guys in here can relate, relate to that, newly married. Uh, but the, these three men had, had, had some excuses that we might consider legitimate. That, that might be important to us. You know, they, they, he had possessions and land. They had uh, things that, to provide for their family, their career, and then they had family obligations. And the rest of the story goes, the, the master got angry. He goes and sends a servant out and go, goes to, to everybody. Go, go invite everybody you can find, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the poor. Go even further than that and convince people and compel them to come in and, and get people here because those, those individuals, they're not going to be able to, to attend the feast. And, and so we, he tells the story, and then beginning in verse 26, like he normally does, he teaches based on the story he just, he just said. And in verse 26, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." 
He gives a few illustrations of what he's talking about. And then in verse 33, it says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus lays it out for all, all of those who, who are thinking, may, maybe here at this feast he's at, all of those who are thinking about following him and becoming his disciple. He says, if you're going to follow me, I have to be the most important thing in your life. There can't be anything else. Not your possessions, not your career, not your family, not, not anything. You've got to put away love of this earth. You've got to put away uh, any, anything else if you're going to follow me and call yourself a disciple of mine. To follow me, you're going to sacrifice. You're going to have to go where I go. You're going to have to do what I do. You're going to have to say what I say and, and care about the things that I care about. Following Jesus is a life-changing decision we see from the teaching that, that, he, that he gives here to his disciples. It's a life-changing decision, and becoming a true disciple of Christ involves sacrificing what might make me comfortable, what uh, things that I value and interested in, and doing only the things that fulfill God's will. And so that leads me in my study to some self-reflection, to think, okay, who am I? What is my response to Jesus? What response do I have when Jesus calls me to follow him, to leave everything? I, am I the one who says, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? I've done all the right things. Am I that one? A am I like the young man who wanted to follow Christ, but I valued my possessions and the things of, of my life more than the eternal life that I said I wanted from Jesus? Or do we respond like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, like we see? Do we say, nevertheless, at your word I will, letting the nets into the sea, leaving the nets behind in the boat, and sacrificing all to follow him? And, and, and even beyond that, what does it look like today to be that kind of disciple? What, to be that kind of disciple, I mean, not many of us in here are fishermen by trade. We, we don't live in that time. We don't, we don't really understand that, that life that they lived. But what does it mean today to be that kind of disciple? And, and I can tell you, we do have people in our number tonight who have left the comfort behind. They have gone to places where they didn't know where they were going to preach and to make disciples. We support men all over the, all over the world who do this on a regular basis. And what does that look like for us? And I think that's a question worth exploring. And that's why I want to spend the rest of our time discussing tonight. And that's what does a disciple look like today? What type of characteristics do we need to, do, do we need to have to be able to say, you know, that's going to be really hard. That's, that's not going to make sense. I, I don't understand this, but nevertheless, at your word, I will. What does it take to leave all behind and focus on things of God, not things of earth? And I want to answer this question by looking at the disciples' example, by looking at the apostles' example, because they did the same thing. They, they, the things that they did, the characteristics that they had in the book of Acts, what set them apart from the others and, and how they were able to follow Jesus and make more disciples in a hostile world is something that I think we, we need to emulate and we need to look at their example and consider. And so, so I've identified four different ways that we can be a disciple today, and I thought we would go through with the remainder of our time tonight. And the first 
The first one is that they had a deep conviction, a very strong faith. And I want to suggest to you that this was their superpower. This was their strength, the source of their strength, the thing that made them be able to do, to stand up to all sorts of persecution, the things that made them stand up to all sorts of, of uh, uh, just, just challenges and the things that they faced. And it was a thing that made them so convincing to others and made them so convincing to be able to make more disciples and to have people follow them. This deep conviction gave them confidence and courage to leave everything behind. It allowed them not to get distracted, but to stay focused on the work that they had to do. Now, how do we know they had this conviction? How how, how do we see that? And I would suggest to you it's by reading pretty much anything that they said or did. Uh, When you go through the book of Acts and and, uh, the way they said it to the people that they said it to, they really believed what they were saying. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be willing to stand before uh, rulers who demanded they stop talking. They wouldn't be able to sing and pray while they were in prison and, have, and do all of the other things that they did. In Acts, chap- in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, uh, they believed in Jesus and the promises so much that they were directly told, stop preaching about Jesus. So we can't stop. 4 verse 20 says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They were so deeply convicted in their faith in Jesus that they were compelled to keep going. And we see this conviction other places in the Bible. I I, I immediately thought of Daniel as I was going through the study and the things that he was able to do uh, and withstand. And I thought of Nehemiah from from our study a few months ago. I'm sorry, Jeremiah from our study a few months ago. In Jeremiah 20 verse 9, he described the same conviction Uh, as his heart would become as a burning fire shut up in his bones whenever he would try to not tell people about God, whenever he would try to forget about God and not do the things he he was supposed to do. He was weary of holding it in. He couldn't endure it anymore. He was so convicted. And this deep conviction they had is also what gave the apostles the ability to influence others and make disciples. And I think about Acts chapter 2 and the sermon that Peter gave there. And, and what was the result of that sermon? He, he, it wasn't just that he believed it so much, but those that heard it were cut to the heart. They were convicted to action. And they said, okay, Peter, we believe this. We, we understand what you're saying. What do we do now? How do we fix this? How do we be saved? And, they, and Peter said, well, you, you repent and be baptized. I, said, oh, I don't understand that. Uh, that, that. That's weird. But nevertheless, at your word, I will. And 3,000 were saved. And so we see that it was their conviction that allowed them to influence others. And my question for us tonight is, do we have that same faith? Do we have that same conviction that, uh, that the apostles had uh, to where we can't stop serving him? And we can't stop talking about him. Are we willing to say, nevertheless, at your word I will... When it's something that we don't understand or when it goes against the world and, and what they say is okay. When it goes against our family or, or when, it, when it maybe takes me out of my comfort zone and, and something that I've never done before. Imagine the influence we could have on people and the way we could convince people to follow Jesus if we were like that more. And I want to challenge all of us tonight. If our faith doesn't cause us to ask what must we do. And take the action no matter what, what the consequence. 
what do we need to do to strengthen that? How can I strengthen my faith? And I encourage you to not let, if, if you're struggling with your faith and you're, you're struggling without this deep conviction, take action and fix it head on. Do what you can to strengthen your faith. Don't let it go further and weaken and die. And, uh, you know, look at the evidences, read the gospels, spend time studying the Bible and, and really pull someone aside and say, I'm struggling. I need help. Help me build my faith. Do something to, to, so that you can strengthen your faith. I think the disciples' example here is something that we need to, to follow and emulate. The second observation I want to make is that they were reliant on prayer. And I, I counted as I was reading through Acts, and this isn't an exact count, but no less than 30 times in at least the first 12 chapters, prayer was mentioned. And it was a very important thing to the disciples. And it makes sense. If you have a deep conviction that, that, uh, that we see them having that Jesus is real and the things that he taught are real, why wouldn't I go to God the Father with, with anything that I need to pray about, with any, anything I need or, or with my praise and thanksgiving to him? Jesus taught, taught them how to pray himself in Matthew chapter 6. They, they got a lesson firsthand on how to do that, and they relied on that um, throughout their ministry. Prayer was a regular habit for them, and they were devoted to it. The, word, the, the phrase devoted to prayer happens a lot in the book of Acts. The disciples were devoted to it. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They also prayed anytime there was a decision to be made. Anytime they, they had to, uh, to, to make a choice and make a decision, they prayed. And we see that especially in, in chapter 1, verse 24, when they had to uh, choose a new apostle. And they, they prayed to God, asking him for guidance in selecting that new apostle. They prayed when they started new projects or, or endeavors uh, uh, spiritually. I uh, think about chapter 6, verse 6, where they, they instituted men to help serve. And they prayed over those men as they began to, to serve and set those things up. 13, verse 3, the Christians in Antioch prayed for Paul and Barnabas before they were sent out uh, on the, their missionary journey. And prayer was also their first response whenever there was opposition or a challenge or a difficult, uh, a difficult time. And, and it kind of it was confusing a little bit when you read it because it was always centered around praise and th- thankfulness. It wasn't always, hey, help, help me, I, I need help here, I can't get out of the situation. But it was praising God and, and being thankful for that. Uh, chapter 4, verse 24, Peter and John, immediately after being released from prison praised God in prayer with their friends in the city. And in chapter 12, verse 5, the church earnestly prayed for Peter when he was in prison. And, and these are, this is just a small sampling uh, of the times when the disciples prayed, but it, this was something they devoted themselves to, and they relied on the, this avenue of prayer. And it's really no wonder that these disciples wrote in the New Testament about prayer so much. We, we have lots of, uh, lots of places, and I can think, uh, I, I thought about 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, where he said, this is the confidence that we have toward him. This is coming from one of the disciples, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The apostles saw great value in prayer. 
they, uh, they, they relied on it, they were devoted to it, and they, they prayed in every situation. Why wouldn't we want to take everything to him in prayer? If we have that deep conviction, that strong faith, and the confidence that John had here in, in 1 John 5, we need to rely on prayer with the same confidence as the disciples. Third observation I want to make is that they were radically different. I think we may be dropping off the bottom there. Uh, they're radically different than the world they lived in. They were able to influence and help people be different because they were different. They, they weren't like those they were around. And I want you to think about the, the, the guys, these disciples. It was a pretty odd group of guys to begin with. There were fishermen, there was a tax collector, uh, a zealot. Uh, you know, they, they, pretty, pretty, pretty uh, diverse group of, uh, of men that were kind of out of their lane. They didn't really belong there in society and doing the things that they were doing, standing up to who they were standing up to. But they were different. And, and one of the ways they were different was that they believed differently. They believed different things in the world. And, they, and, and it was weird to, to people around them. They, they believed that there, there was a God and he was real. And, you know, you can imagine in the world that they were teaching in, wait, you believe in a God? Where is he? Bring him here. I, I, I've got all these idols here. I don't see, I don't see your God. They believed that the man that was crucified was the Messiah and the Savior. That was a radically different idea, one that was blasphemous to, to, to a lot of people. But they believed that and, and, and uh, were, were willing to, to be different in that way. And then they also did things in their behavior that was radically different than the world. They loved their enemies. That was a very different Thing than, than people were used to. They forgave them. They turned the other cheek. They followed Jesus' teachings there. They, they were going to talk to Gentiles. The, Jew, you know, the Jews were normally God's chosen people, but now they were taking a new message to the Gentiles. That was radically different in that time. And they loved the sinners, but they hated the sin. They, uh, in Acts chapter 19, I, I love this account where these new Christians in Ephesus uh, used to be sorcerers. They gathered their magic art books, they, they threw them out, and they burned them together in the sight of all. And it shows that, you know, the, the, the disciples, they loved those sorcerers. They wanted them to be disciples. They, they valued their soul, but they hated the sin, and it was not tolerated. And so they were different in that way, in, in the things that they did. And one of the conversations that happens often in our house is the fact that, look, we, we follow Christ. We are disciples of Christ, and we are going to look different to the world. We're going to look different to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to, to even our family maybe. By making the choice to follow Jesus, that's going to be weird. And if we are truly following Jesus, those choices are going to be radically different than the majority. It's going to look weird. It's going to be very different. And I think this is a big part of what Jesus was teaching the disciples about following him. It wasn't all about money and selling your possessions and giving to the poor, but it was about uh, giving up what had been normal in your life, giving up what, what was normal to every, everyone else around you, and the wisdom of the world, what the world values, and what the world um, around you accepted as normal. You think about it, it was radically different to follow, uh, to leave your livelihood on the shore, your nets and your boats, and go follow a teacher. That was different. And it's different for us to reconstruct our life around worshiping God and serving him and teaching and studying uh, his word with others. And we need to embrace this. 
And we need to teach our children to embrace this. In a difficult world where we can be silenced and insulted and, and bullied for believing the wrong thing, we need to embrace that we are going to believe the wrong thing sometimes to the world. And we, we're going to be different. But that's the only way we're going to be able to influence people. And the only way we're going to help others be different. And then the fourth observation, and we'll run through this one quickly here, maybe. Was that they created and cultivated uh, this, this incredible community uh, around them. And I've always been impressed by this when you look at, at, at the book of Acts and you see this community they have. Um, and they needed that community in order to survive then. I mean, they, they, they had to go underground. There was persecution. They needed the support system. They needed, needed to survive. Um, and, and this community helped, helped them thrive in that condition. And so they created this community. And, and, and the way they did this was first, they were active members of the surrounding community they, they were in. They, they participated in that. Uh, Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John, and they're walking through the city to the temple for the hour of prayer. And what, what, what opportunity did that bring them? They were able to, they came across the lame man, heal him, teach, be arrested. Uh, and I mean, it led to a whole host of opp- opportunities just from the, that uh, uh, walk through the city. We looked at Paul, but every time he came to a city, he goes to, to synagogues and he, he goes to the marketplaces and he talks to people wherever they were. He made sure he was talking about Jesus and turning conversations towards him. And what about us? Our neighborhood, our school, our work, our, our friends. Are we putting ourselves out there in the local community? Are we using the opportunities we're given? Are we looking for new opportunities to be able to spread the gospel, and teach others about Jesus. We need to follow their example. Second, they had all things in common. And in, in the context of what we read in Acts, most of this is fi- financial. They sell all their things, and they're, they're, again, to survive, they sell all their things to feed all the people who happen to be in Jerusalem and things like that. Uh, and that's, that's certainly important. We need to be willing to share our resources and, and, and do what we can. But they also shared each other's burdens, and, and Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, uh, he taught them to help restore those in sin with gentleness and to bear one another's burdens. And James, in chapter 5 verse 16, 16, teaches to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, excuse me, so that uh, you may be healed. I don't think these are just minor off-the-cuff remarks by, by, by these disciples. These are things they put into practice. These are things that they practiced while they were in the book of Acts, while they were, while they were growing the church and building that community. And, and for us, number one, we need to be ready to give everything we have for one another. And whether that's, that's, that's uh, monetary, whether that's homes, cars, you know, whatever that looks like. But also we need to create an environment where our, our brethren feel comfortable confessing their sins and have a support system and know that they can come and, and rely on one another, that we will bear each other's burdens. Um, and again, think of the influence that this can have on a non-believer if you have this type of community. They can see, let's l- use what we have to show others what a lifestyle of being a disciple looks like and use that to influence others. Uh, the third thing here, they work towards solutions uh, with... Uh, with controversial issues that popped up. They honestly and openly addressed issues that popped up. And there's several occasions throughout the book of Acts where things happen and they, 
they, they needed to keep, keep unity. In Acts chapter 6 specifically, there was a racial controversy growing among the brethren in Jerusalem. You had the Hellenistic Jews who were upset with the native Hebrews that uh, their, their widows were being overlooked for the daily serving of food. And, uh, and, and they, they, they felt that this isn't fair, this isn't right. And so what could the church have done? The church could have divided. It could have uh, got upset uh, kept to themselves, uh, complained, and, 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 and judged, and, and do all of these things. Instead, though, they talked about it. They got together and agreed that this problem's not good in verse 2. They, they identified the problem, agreed on it, and they came up with a solution where they chose seven men of good reputation, potentially from both, both sides, I would assume, to, to help fulfill this need where uh, the, the widows could be fed. And what was the result? This is my favorite part of this. In verse 7, the result of this was that because they were able to openly address the controversy, it says the word was able to spread. And disciples continued to increase. And even those that led the opposition against them, even the priests, started to believe and were made disciples there. Do you think that the way that they approached these controversial issues were a help to those in the community? Was something that those in the community noticed? And was something that they could point to and say, look, those people over there who are handling things this certain way, they have a higher standard and a higher purpose than the way we deal with some of our problems. They, they, they have a, something to, to a, a, a attain to. And then finally, they evangelized and worked together. And, and we see this example a lot. We see Peter and John working together, Paul and his companions on, on, the, uh, uh, on, his, on his missionary journeys. And they learned this from Jesus in Luke 10, verse 1, where he sent them out in pairs uh, while he was still on earth. And, and I just want to encourage us as brothers and sisters, as we're trying to make disciples and teaching others about Jesus and telling people that there's a better life that they could have if they would follow Jesus, grab someone. If you're scared to do it by yourself, grab someone and take them with you. Make a plan to, to teach others and reach out to people. It's important that we work together. We're not doing this alone. And so I think this community is a real important part and something that really benefited these early disciples and the things that they did. And, you know, today we live in a really closed-off society in general. And, you know, I, I know I, I can be the worst offender of this and the most closed-off. You know, I go home, I close the door, I lock the door. Uh, I frantically turn the lights off and, and hide down if someone rings the doorbell and hope they leave. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we get in this closed-off society where we don't want to be around people. But community is important, and we, we need to help create community, just like the disciples and the first-century Christian did. So... What's my point? We're, we're out of time. What, what's the point of all this? Why is this important? If we follow the examples of the apostles, the results will be astounding when you look in the book of Acts. When you, you don't have to go very far to see what was happening daily in, in, the, in the early church. The Lord was adding day by day to those who were saved, constantly added to their number. Word, the word of God kept spreading. Number continued to increase, even priests becoming obedient. They were being baptized, men and women. Church enjoyed peace. Uh, the hand of the Lord was with them, and the word of the Lord continued to be multiplied. If we're going to follow Jesus and take on the mission of being a disciple and leaving our nets behind and, 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 and following him, we need to follow the disciples. We need to follow their example and do the things that they, that they did in order to get the results that they got. And 
like their example, we need to be willing to leave everything behind and focus on the goal. This is the goal. This is what we need to be doing is making disciples. That's the mission that Jesus sent us on. We need to work to make sure we have a deep conviction and a strong faith. That's not just going to happen. We need to work at that. We need to rely on our relationship with Jesus and pray without ceasing. We need to embrace being radically different than the world around us and and be okay with that. We need to create a life-changing community that people want to be a part of and, and can influence others. And we need to be focused on making more disciples, not just for numbers' sake, not just so we can fill this building, uh, not not just for that, but because there's 158,000 souls in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And most, if many of them, are dying. They need Jesus. And they need someone to to tell them about Jesus. And if we don't do it, who is? I mean, God will find a way, sure, but we have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus and to follow the disciples' example here. What is your answer to Jesus' call? When he says, follow me, how, how, how are you, you going to answer that? What's your response? Are you ready to give your life up for him? Are you ready to leave the nets behind and follow him immediately? Are you ready to die to your old self and put those old things away and start a new life following him? And making more disciples. Are you willing to say, nevertheless, I don't understand, but nevertheless, at your word, I will. Disciples of Jesus showed us how to do it. They showed us it's possible, and they showed us what, what great can come from it. And they showed us that it's worth it. They showed us that you can go to heaven and be with Jesus forever if you will just follow, follow him in a life of sacrifice. Start by leaving the nets behind. Repent from your sins. Leave your past life behind and decide to follow him being buried uh, in water just like him uh, in water through baptism for the remission of your sins. You will, you will come up out of the water with your sins forgiven, ready to live a new life uh, completely devoted to him. Maybe, maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you, you are a disciple and you started to follow Jesus, but you've gotten distracted and you're, you're, uh, you've gotten pulled back to the world. Maybe you're entangled in sinning. You don't know how to get out of it. Um, we, we try to create a community here where you can confess that sin, and we want to be a support system for you, and we want to help get you back on track, and we'd love to pray with you. Whatever your spiritual need is, we invite you to come as, as uh, we stand and sing the song of encouragement.